There have been lots of inconsistencies, or should we say hypocrisies, on full display in the Virginia General Assembly lately. For instance, some legislators want to ban the decline of cats, but apparently surgical procedures to remove kids' bodily organs are just fine. Plus, we give you the latest updates on pro-abortion legislation, parental rights, and what you can do about it. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, welcome back, everybody. You know, to start off with Victoria, I just want to vent a little bit about a small domestic issue, and that is that my husband is very into football, and he has figured out how to do these automated updates on our Amazon Echo, and it just, it drives me nuts. It goes off at these odd times of the day, usually when I'm trying to have a serious discussion with him, but you know, we'll be at the table. It it tends to go off during dinner time for whatever reason, and we'll be having, you know, what I think is a serious discussion about something, some life crisis or something, and it'll just blast in, here is your NFL update. (laughs) It is so annoying to me. Guys take their football seriously. I think that's fair. Um, I, yeah, I'm kind of glad that we don't have that. We do have some Amazon Echoes that could be announcing things, and I'm kind of glad we don't. But um, I, I will say, you know, the men in my in my life, my sons and my husband, do watch a fair amount of football. Um, but does your husband do fantasy football? Because that's what Don't takes up all say the time. That because he listens to this podcast. I do not even want all the yeah. sports podcasts too. I that is a yeah. big part of my long drives. If I'm there, I, it's like I just absorb hours of football background. You what? You like it? But the re- yeah, I, I like it. I, I, but but I would say if you really watched it, you would know not to talk about football to an Eagles fan right now because. <laughs> We don't want to talk about football. So I thought it was really funny that you bring up football right now as we've had this devastating season. But on the fantasy football front, I don't know if you you know or are aware of what happened in the office fantasy football pool. Are you do you follow no, this? So there's we an, have an office fantasy yeah, football I pool. I didn't figure oh, you were yeah, part okay, of it. Obviously I'm All right. So I didn't want to be I, I don't I cannot watch that much. I cannot follow that closely. I do not have space in my life for that much football. So this year I I offered Matt, do you want to play in our, you know, so some of the spouses or whatever. So yeah. anyway, so he plays in our in our family foundation fantasy football league he names his team now keep in mind my husband is not an Eagles fan like I am he names his team Philadelphia fans are the worst that's the name of his fantasy football team he then goes and wins both the the regular season and the postseason of our office fantasy football he would like a plaque placed into my office from his win, because he thinks it needs to be here because it's the office pool, it says Philadelphia fans are the worst. So we're having an interesting discussion over football and right now. We have several Philadelphia fans. Yes, I'm Bruce sure. would also be very disappointed. Yeah. Bruce is on our election team, and Bruce also is an Eagles fan. And, um, yeah, that would wow. not go very well. See, I had no idea about all this offline drama. Look what you learned. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but I am glad it's not on the Alexa, and I don't have to hear about it all the time. And yeah, it could be worse. I mean, most Eagles fans are just done watching. We're just done. Like, yeah. playoffs are here. We have I don't know. demolished he our he's season. A, he's a Jets fan now. I don't know why. It just seemed kind of random to me. But okay. <laughs> Your husband is a Jets yeah, fan? Yeah, that's what he's... That is a, I mean... Yeah. Why um, you moved I mean... I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we're going to move into our serious discussion now. There's no Amazon Echo here to interrupt me. So um, <laughs> we're going to start right off the bat. I want to get some quick updates 
on those sweeping amendments to the Constitution we talked about on abortion and marriage. Tell us what's going on with that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we wanted them to die. And um, on the Senate side, they are actually carried over to next year. So um, there's there's versions of the constitutional amendments on both sides, House and Senate. They're the same. Um, and the Senate has said, okay, we're going to deal with these next year. We anticipate the House will do the same. That's a strategy that they have chosen, which is actually for us, it, it, it's, it's fine. It gives us a year to continue to build the arguments, to try to change hearts and minds. Okay, so it doesn't change the overall timeline of when Correct. it could get on the ballot for people to look at. Um, because they had two years with this makeup of the General Assembly to put it in front of them, right? And, yes. And then they have to get it through another General Assembly that's different. Why did they... Okay, here's what I want to know. Because <laughs> Democrats made this huge deal out of the fact that they were going to... You know, this is the first thing they were proposing, one of the very first top priorities, and now they're delaying it? What is going on? Yeah, there's a couple theories on this. Um, the first one is that it's purely political, that they really want to hang this make this the heart of their election strategy this year. And so if it's somehow already easily through one year in their minds, then that wouldn't be as poignant. I don't I, I think it would still be hung over the heads in every election no matter what. But so some people said it was just a strategy thing. Um, really, what we're honestly hearing is there was some concern. Our Constitution, the way it reads on how you amend a Constitution is that, yes, as you mentioned, you have to pass it once, have an intervening election, pass it again. Those have always typically been done consecutively. So in an odd year, you know, you, you kind of pass the thing in January, February, then that year you have an election, then the next year, January, February, you pass it. Passing it this year and waiting a year and then having the election, there was some discussion of, is that truly legal? I think mm. they did not want a legal challenge. I would have loved a legal challenge. We would have tried to I challenge see. that um, because it is, not, it is not how we've typically done it. But the question is, were you allowed to pause for a year and let it sit and then bring it back? Okay, so they just want to make sure everything is tight. and they, tight. Yeah. they are, yes. Okay. Um, but it means nothing for us. We were preparing for a ballot battle in, Jan in November of 2026, and we will continue to prepare to stop this. And if we don't stop it, be it, be ready for the hearts and minds yeah. that need to be changed at the ballot box in November 2026. So for us, we carry on and we battle this. Um, and technically, the House bills have not been determined yet. So we do need to make sure that they get carried over. Okay. So I did find it interesting. I saw some commentary that maybe they were thinking there's still some terrible abortion bills that we're going to talk about in a few minutes that if, you know, um, if by chance those didn't get through, they I'm thinking they, they would with the current makeup. But if they didn't, they'd be able to make that an election issue. Or, or either way, they have this, this issue, abortion issue, moving forward in bills that people are going to be stirred up about. So maybe they want to also have the, the luxury to make that the issue moving into the next time that they take up that constitutional amendment on abortion. Do you think that's legit? I think that's completely legit. We are right now tracking 21, 22 bills that they have put in on the life issue. Okay. So they are they are gunning it in all directions. And so these bills are aggressively pro-abortion type bills. And yeah, they're going to have the opportunity to bring them forward to if they want to move them through the legislature. If we can't stop them now, of course, we're playing heavy, heavy defense. So we will be absolutely working to stop that. But that will give them whatever they want to talk about in the election. And, of course, we do anticipate asking Governor Youngkin, to, you know, we anticipate that they could get through and that it's going to come down to our governor, um, you know, yeah. standing up. Thankfully, he's been very vocally pro-life, and I don't expect him to be anything else when those bills get to his desk. But we'll all have to make our voices heard. We'll all have to remind the governor that there's a huge army yeah. behind him when he vetoes those if he 
And just to clarify again, it's important to realize, so he can veto these bills, but he cannot do anything about the constitutional amendments. That's right. Amendments. Thank you for so, bringing that yeah. up. Um, well, speaking of all of these horrible bills that are going through on the life issue, I did want to um, pick your brain on one of the worst ones, and that is Senator Hashmi's bill, SB 278. Tell us about that. It is absolutely one of the worst bills I have ever seen come through the General Assembly. And that is, a lot. It is a lot. I've been here a lot, a lot of years. I hate to say how many because it just makes me feel old. <laughs> but um, we'll just call it more than two decades. And so when I say that, I mean I have never seen a bill like this. So what mm. it does is it basically says... I'm going to I'm going to make it in the, the plainest language possible. It says that you cannot go after an abortionist or anyone that interferes in any way, shape or form with abortion for anything. And it says the same thing about gender care. If you're providing gender care, it's almost like these entities or individuals will have immunity in everything they do, including in the state. And even if they go into other states and do things, we're not going to allow other states to come after doctors for illegal abortions that have been because they're Virginia doctors. We're giving them like, go ahead and do whatever you want. And it's horrifying. And this is important because we are surrounded by states that have either banned or put serious limitations on abortion, unlike Virginia. And so you are essentially trying to create a sanctuary state for abortion by doing this because, because those women in these other states, then doctors here can send them abortion pills. And maybe they're not even a doctor. They can send them abortion pills from Virginia and have no qualms about that state um, being able to uh, apply their law, right? Like, yeah, the governor, can't, there's no extradition going to be honored. There's no, um, I, also, I, I really think people need to understand the way the bill is written. Our team is going to walk in there and have to share. This means an abortionist can do other illegal acts. So there, I mean, I'm going to paint a really horrific scenario. An abortionist sexually assaults his patient, but if it is related to the provision, that's how it's worded, anything related to the provision, so this is a patient in his care, we are very concerned, literally, that there is no right for a prosecutor. They have basically said no local authority, nobody can go after them. Anything related to yeah. the provision, the receipt of, or even somebody, we're even worried about pregnancy resource centers and those who try to have conversations to talk people out of abortion, because literally oh, you cannot do yes. anything, you cannot do anything under this bill that would prevent somebody from, from moving forward with an abortion or with gender care. So it also means a child comes in and demands they want gender care surgery. You, as a doctor who happens to do this surgery, mm -hmm. if you think it happens to not be right for this patient, I don't know how you get to use your own judgment because that person is saying you can't, you cannot prevent the provision or it's it's yeah. insane. We don't do law like this. This this is so. Not only would it make it super hard, put up barriers if you, if barriers if you had a Gosnell type of situation. Yeah, and this is what I'm envisioning exactly. Yeah, um, we're exploiting and harming women. There, it makes it really hard to go after that. And then you bring up a good point. If you have a child um, who later, like a, a Chloe Cole, who has this invasive surgery done, just to be frank, breasts removed. I don't know how old she was, 15. 15 uh, yeah, but there's some even that do it, have that pushed yep. on them earlier. And then later, she, she's eight, she was 18 when we talked to her, I think. Um, she's speaking out about the harm that she did not have the ability to appreciate 
in her life. Is she disabled then, disempowered from being able to hold those doctors accountable? Well, it's an interesting thing. I'm a little unclear on the civil side, but I will, yeah. you know, but I will tell you this has major age ramifications, and that's one thing you're getting at in both gender care. And we got to talk about what these words are in this code yes, when I use the word do. gender care. But in both of these areas, abortion and sex change, we'll call it, in both of these areas, my concern is I don't see where this limits age at all. And so I am very concerned that even parents who step in and try to prevent the provision of an abortion or, you know, help your kids say, you know, this is not the direction you want to go or you're not we're, we're not going to go down this hormones and and, and yeah. body mutilation path. I'm very concerned that they actually have a problem under this bill. Why are these two things merged together in the same bill? That's kind of interesting to me. I would say because Planned Parenthood has started doing um, uh. hormone. I would say because the entity that dominates the far base of the, of the Democrat Party, who writes the bills and hands it to them, want to protect themselves. That's what I would say because they're doing both. Because yeah. there is not a real connection. I mean, other than you know, ideologies that we all dislike right. on our side of the, 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 the ideological spectrum and certainly Christians oppose. But um, it's it's really Planned Parenthood, I, I would say, is the connecting force. And to your point about the care wording of this, Words. let's just look at the title of this bill. It is called Virginia Abortion Care and Gender Affirming Health Care Protection Act. Tell us about this concept of inserting these care-related words into our law. What's happening here? I mean, it's just amazing what they've been able to do with the concept of, of killing an unborn child and now inserting the word care. The people even humor that. But the reality is there is no care involved with abortion. I think we know that. We know from the women who regret their abortion, they felt no care. The care comes when pregnancy resource centers and those of us that are pro-life wrap our arms around this woman who's in an unplanned pregnancy, and we say, we want to help you. We want to support you. What can we do to make you be able to fulfill your your you know motherhood in a way that is 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 with a whole community around you. That's care. This is the opposite of care. And certainly we know from people who detransition from sex change and terrible hormone issues that they didn't feel care. They they felt like they had no answers. Adults didn't help them. I mean, these kids mm -hmm. that are talking, you mentioned Chloe Cole. I mean, these kids are saying, I did not get cared for. I got ramrodded through a system who basically said, this is your problem, here we go, and, yeah. and took me when I wasn't old enough to even understand, which is exactly when we're supposed to be caring for people, when they're vulnerable. Right. Yeah, care is not disempowering the legal system from being able to surround these women and children with basic protections. Well, that That is not care. I want to mention, too, Victoria, um, just the concept that this is a shield law, meaning that you, you are undermining other states' efforts to protect kids and women because even if you're a state that has a ban on having these invasive procedures for kids, for minors— then, I mean, this makes it right where they just go to another adult can take them to Virginia. So you are directly undermining and not providing care when other states have attempted to do that for their citizens. Yeah, and I would say the last, it is impossible to claim this bill is about care if you are protecting doctors from ever having any law enforcement around them if they do something wrong. I mean, I cannot imagine saying that we're going to not allow, it literally kind of talks about, it's technical, so it talks about subpoenas. Like, you can't even subpoena anybody around the issue of abortion. So I just sit there and think we can't have safety standards. We can't, I mean, anything can go. And you brought up, guys, now there's others. Um, Stephen Brigham's one that's been operating in Virginia in the past that is, I mean, the horrific. So we are actually decreasing, even if you thought abortion was care, 
you are decreasing the the actual safety and health of the woman's by by creating a law yeah. that disincentivizes safety. So care, it's like the extreme opposite word to that's use right. in this bill. And that's what comes to mind is how we are doing this in so many realms. We are moving to the extremist position in the name of an agenda instead of true care. So I that's what's happening. I just hope people can understand that this is where we're going. I, I mean, I, I really hope we can get the message out that this is the end game is is just absolutely unfettered, unregulated medical because a it's whole an section of it's a political agenda. It is a political agenda, and we are literally going to have and now it's two sections. It used to be we would fight over yeah. safety standards for abortion. Now we're going to have to fight over even standards around gender. Oh, yeah, I was about to say care. I cannot believe that you said the horrible <laughs> word. Anyway, <laughs> the, the, you know I've been um, reading the bill a lot, so I'm kind of stuck in their words. Yeah, which is, but we we are going to give it our all to fight these yes, things. Yes, absolutely. And I, I did want to, before we move on to a different topic, um, see if there's any important updates on some of these education parental rights bills that have been moving through. Is there any, you don't have to, if you don't think we need to spend time there, but if, is there any important update you want to give? I mean, I do want to mention we've had a very unfortunate Senate committee on many of the bills that would go through the, or that surround Connect to Education or um, children. Um, so we, we unfortunately did have a committee defeat SAGE's law, which, you know, we know is so critically important. This is, again, parental rights Based. So is it dead for this year, Sage's um, Law? I mean, there's still House efforts on okay. these bills. You know, girls' sports also, okay. um, you know, got defeated in a Senate committee. So you're, we're still, you know, you still try to move things in both chambers mm -hmm. so that you give this other chamber time to think about it. If you can get the bill across, you can get it through a House committee. They still, that same committee has okay. to look at it. So it's hard, but it's not impossible. We have seen okay. God do miracles. We've seen, you know, great testimony. Things change at the last minute. So yeah. we, we play this out to the last bell. Okay. 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 You know, yeah. I don't know what the, the That's idiom. right. Don't give up before yeah, the game's no, really we don't, over. I mean, yeah, we don't, we, you know, we, we suffer defeats early, but they are not yeah. complete until they are complete. Yeah. And so just to summarize, um, Sage's Law, which is the bill that, that tries to honor parents' rights and protect young girls, uh, young kids, really, girl or boy, um, from things like counseling on changing your gender, being given to your kid at school without you knowing, to protect against that, to make sure parents are involved. That's Sage's Law. That's been defeated in the Senate, but still is going through the House at the time of this taping, at yes. least. And then protecting girls' high school sports. We talked about that a lot last week. Dead in the Senate still um, has a chance in the House, and so um, at the time of this taping. So we'll keep you updated. Yep. Well, there is something disturbing happening at the national level that I feel we should talk about because it has some connections to things that are going on here in Virginia. And that is these ongoing efforts of the Biden administration to really push through these rule changes. And also, I think there may be some accompanying legislation that helps um, to really essentially make it more difficult or discourage or you could even say weed out people of faith from our foster care system, especially surrounding these LGBTQ issues. So to kind of help put this in perspective for you this week, some of you may have even seen this clip um, from CBN that really made the rounds on social media this week. Um, there were a lot of Christians that were concerned about this and sharing this. I'm just going to play an excerpt of this clip from CBN. Policy change may prevent foster children from being placed in the homes of Christians. The new policy would disallow the placement of children into the homes of foster parents who oppose what's called gender-affirming care and LGBTQ ideologies. On this week's episode of The Global Lane, the American Family Association's James Taylor says the proposed change is far-reaching and it's about more than foster care. 
certainly this rule and accompanying legislation in the Senate and the U.S. House, there's a bill called the Paris Hilton Bill. This rulemaking and this bill together will drive Christians out of the foster care system. But the most important thing for listeners to understand is that this is not just about foster care. When the Biden administration is saying that if you are a Christian parent or a Christian foster care provider, that you are not providing a safe environment for kids, what they mean is you're providing a dangerous environment for kids. And when kids are in danger, that's defined as abuse. So what they are literally doing is beginning to define Christian parents teaching a biblical worldview, define that as a form of abuse if you deny basically the LGBTQ lifestyle for your children. That is where this is headed. Well, Victoria, do you agree with what he is saying, that this is essentially creating stigmatization of people of faith and really kind of leading us down this path where, you know, we're criminalizing Christians from being able to participate in things like foster care? I don't think there's any question that's what's attempting to be going on. I mean, you know, there's the rule, there's some legislation, and we've seen in other states where they've gone even further than we necessarily know that they're trying to go now. But, I mean, if you look at California, that is the example, I think, of where they're trying to go with this rulemaking that that we we saw on the clip. And that is, in California, you basically have to swear, if you're going to be a foster parent, you're going to enter the system, you basically have to swear that you will basically affirm someone's gender confusion or Mm -hmm. whatever the issue may be, sexual orientation. So as a believer, as a person of faith who says, look, I, I, I can't agree to a false reality if somebody thinks they're a different gender, or I can't be on board with somebody heading in um, a, heterose- a homosexual direction instead of the way God planned, what I want to do is help bring these kids back to the truth. You will not, you can't do that in California. And mm-hmm. I am concerned that that's where we're headed at the federal level. And of course, that would impact all of us. And we've seen this. I mean, we've seen this effort. I mean, we had the Guzman bill here in Virginia that we're going to like sort of characterize people as a, a as Report abusers. To the CPS. Yeah, we're going to start yeah. in the direction of CPS if they don't affirm somebody's gender. So this concept is playing out all over the place. Yeah. If they're not affirming a child, uh, deemed gender affirming enough of their child's gender, that's, you know, essentially trying to lead down that path to criminalizing parents. Um, I just want to talk about a few details of where the Biden administration is trying to go, because I think it goes along with what you're saying about California. And the way they phrase it, under this proposed rule, agencies must ensure that a safe and appropriate placement is available and provided for. So essentially they're saying they're calling it, you're not going to you're be deemed safe. safe and appropriate if for a, a child found to be struggling with these, uh, and they, they say LGBTQI+. So they got all that in there. And so that's the scary part that, you know, maybe if you have a child under your care that starts going down this path or is being pushed by their school, are you suddenly, because you're a Christian and have biblical beliefs, all of a sudden not safe and appropriate unless you do these required federal things that they're trying to mandate that all these agencies require on parents do these trainings, um, put the kid in, um, you know, give them resources. I think maybe even this gets into the whole, the uh, path down toward the the hormones and the gender surgery. So if you're a Bible-believing person, and even, even if you're not, and you just have a concerns out of your conscience that you shouldn't be pushing kids down this path prematurely, 
um, this is a problem. Well, and I just want to say, like, if you think about foster care and adoption, what are the key words when they're talking about anything related to that? It is safety and best interest of the child, right? Yeah. So they're they're taking the most important words, but safety in this case, and and putting them into this with the idea, okay, then then there's certain parents that are unsafe. Well, if they're unsafe for foster kids, I'm just telling you where this stuff goes in the long run. If we if we get a law, a rule, whichever way it comes down, that says these parents really can't be safe for kids who are questioning, why why are we safe for our own children? I mean, I'm, Adoption I'm not, or I, our own children? Right, it starts with the children in the control of the yeah. state because they can regulate that first. But I'm telling you, there is some scary paths that this goes down, not just for Christians and adoption, but clearly there's been an effort for a very long time to try to, as you said, weed out Christians out of adoption. We saw them in Virginia where they tried to go after the Christian adoption agencies and say, we don't want you really involved. If you're not going to place a child in a same-sex couple, if you remember that, you know, we had uh, Governor Kane back in the day but passed a regulation that said, we're, you're, we're not going to let agencies who won't place kids. So this wasn't about the kid. This was about, you know, the ki- where the kid is being placed. And we had to fight that till we got a law. But my only point is they've been after Christians in this sector for a while. Ironically, it is really people of faith that have done the predominance of being, I mean, there were more Christian adoption agencies yes. than any other. There are more, I mean, p- if you talk about who's actually stepping in and caring for these kids, there's more faith-based people than non-faith-based people. And we've got five, in Virginia, we've yeah. got like 5,000 kids in the foster care system. When we have we when we when have problems finding placements, why are we chasing people away oh, yeah. who intend for the See, best? That is an important point. You're actually going to harm kids by doing this because not only are there thousands of kids, thousands of kids on waiting lists for foster care homes in our nation, but also, we looked this up before we came to do this podcast today. I think it was somewhere 70, 80 percent of people of faith involved in the foster care system. So, I mean, you were going to harm kids with well, this section. And I just I hate to remind people. And I, I think we talked about this in the podcast quite some time ago. But remember, there were articles about Virginia, about our kids sleeping on the floors of their social workers offices because we didn't have enough homes. How do we get from that's our situation to anyone at the federal level thinking they need to step in and run pa- potential parents off? And you said we're already starting to deal with this in our state, and we actually represented a couple through our legal team, right, that dealt with this specifically. Yeah, because you also have to deal with the individual social workers and the people who are actually involved, the local Department of Social Services, who are trying to set up these placements. And we saw, we had actually our law center had a client where it was a couple trying to foster to adopt. I mean, that was their plan. And um, they were basically told they can't be adoptive parents if they don't agree in the interview. It became clear that they were people of faith. And uh, they were basically tried to be chased out of the process because and and the DSS workers were pretty. I mean, there, there was recorded phone calls in this as as testimony in this whole sort of effort that we had in our law center. And so we know this is going on, uh, even when it's not an official federal rule or it's not officially in legislation. We know there are people who believe this and are trying to impose that into our system. Yeah, let's just hear a clip from that couple's story. In a recorded phone conversation, the local DSS employee made it clear that because of their biblical beliefs, it would be impossible for them to love and care for any child in a way that was acceptable to the city. The bottom line is we just don't align in our belief system. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. If you don't believe that to the core, how are you able to support a child? When the denial came through, we initially felt attacked. 
In fact, for me, it was the first time I think I've ever truly felt discriminated against. And in that sense, it was, it was a little humbling. Now you're denying us based on our faith, which we see as a way to help and grow a child. And so many children need that love and care and support and they don't get it. So Victoria, that there was a good outcome from this case. Yeah, I mean, we, ultimately we were able to get the Virginia Beach, it was Virginia Beach Department of Social Services to back down, and um, and so and that couple actually became pregnant with their own child, um, and so there were some exciting things just happening in their life anyway. But I just would say that it's sad that we ever had to interfere. That that should never be the case. That a couple coming forward to say we'll step up, and we'll adopt. To have that couple then be told by the government, you're not good enough because you don't believe the secular things that we believe. Mm -hmm. But thank God you got it, the good outcome, a good precedent. Yeah, yeah. We're thrilled um, for yeah. that. Well, I think it's important that as we are opposing these bad things that we do also talk about solutions for coming alongside families. So we're doing that with our tax credit, uh, adoption tax credit bills that would yeah, I mean, adoption, yeah. you know, people forget there are real sacrifices in adoption, and it is expensive, unfortunately. I hate that that's the case, but they have to do home studies and things that cost money. And so the reality is adopting is expensive, and we want to incentivize people to step up. And so um, we're trying to create a state adoption tax credit that would be $4,000 to the family that goes through the adoption. Uh, and so, I, yeah, I think that's the least we can do to try to encourage so that we don't have this foster care backlog and this adoption mm -hmm. backlog. I hope we can join hands across the aisle on that. You would like to think that this is not a partisan issue. I would like to think that this is not going to um, be like other things that are more controversial. We, we all, I mean, both parties, both, all legislators say they're, you know, for mm -hmm. the kids. They all, you know, understand this foster care situation that we have a problem in Virginia. We are not ranked very well. I mean, their actual numbers saying our state is pretty bad at this. So I'd like to think that they could jump in and. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, one way you can prompt them to jump in on a lot of these bills that we've been talking about is through an action day that we have that's right around the corner mama bear day and papa bears grandparents concerned citizens are welcome to if you want to come stand behind parents speak up for parental rights we need as many people as possible standing behind these mama bears that are going to be speaking at a press conference i think this is key right now to weigh in on the Hashmi bill we just talked about these efforts to undermine parents, as we've been talking about in these, these foster care systems, we, we really need you to come out and take a stand on this, stand in the gap on this. So it's Mama Bear Day, uh, Thursday, February 15th, and uh, make sure you register, familyfoundation.org slash Mama Bear Day. Well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! All right, for our Inconceivable today, we thought we'd point out some of the gross hypocrisies, or if you want to be more kind, inconsistencies happening right now in the Virginia General Assembly. And there is actually a bill going through right now that would outlaw the decline of cats. So let's see here. 
you could be fined anywhere from $500 to $2,500, especially if you have repeated violations. So if you are a serial <laughs> cat declar, it is a problem. <laughs> I was actually thinking, is that per claw? But anyway, okay. So yeah, I mean, our team pointed out to me, you know, they saw this bill and they said, okay, so you can't take the claws off a cat, but you can remove now we get serious, the genitals or body organs from a child who is confused about their gender. Uh, it's no problem un- with that. No problem with that. So it's pretty unbelievable. And they, they even suggested testifying in support of this bill and saying, we agree that no mammal incapable of informed consent should have perfectly healthy body parts removed. Because then, of course, if they agree to that, they, okay. they agree with us on children. That is an excellent point. <laughs> I, I, I'd really I, like to see if they'd go in and do that. I but. really would. I think you guys, the lobby team should do that. I, um there are times we, I, I you know, there point. are times that you have to sort of draw out the points of inconsistency yeah. in front of them. All right, let me just say, I am a cat lover, and I do not love the idea of declawing cats because then they can't survive very well outside. That's just my personal opinion. Um, but at the same time, we really are becoming a, a snitch state here because. You know, now you can go and report your neighbor for declining their cat if you're irritated with them about something else. Well, I mean, I'm I'm not as into cats, don't have one, don't really understand all the nuances of, you know, domesticated versus being outside and all that. But I will say, if you're talking about snitch state, I mean, we definitely, I think, are creating a world where, you know, our neighbors are going to be all up in our business because there's another great... And I would say this one, again, is full of hypocrisy. But basically, there's another one that you can report your neighbor for using a gas-powered leaf blower. That's the concept. Oh, no. All right. Tell us what that's about. All right. So, I mean, basically, it's a proposed law that would specifically grant your locality, so this is a local option situation, the right to basically prohibit and regulate the use of gas-powered blowers. I guess that's an environmental issue. And so if it passes, basically, a government can implement this. And um, you could be looking at fines that could supposedly be used to assist with non-complying residents with the purchase of a appropriate leaf blower. So, so if I get I, fined for a gas-powered leaf blower, just caveat, I do not have a gas-powered leaf blower. But if I got, had one and got fined, then I am being told that this fine is actually going to help me buy an appropriate... <laughs> It's going to go toward the general pool. I don't know how that works. I don't it, even understand. It's very yeah. communistic, Not I good. think. Um, but, the, you know, an interesting thing, we actually had people show up at the state capitol. You never know what you're going to get down here. <laughs> with gas-powered leaf blowers just to make a point. Let's just watch a clip of that. All right, now, if you're on one of our audio-only platforms, I guess you just got treated to an uh, an annoying noise of leaf blowers (laughs) for about four seconds. Um, I do hear this noise in my neighborhood. You know, leaves are an issue in our state. I'm sorry. You need something. Yeah. Um, You know what I did? I I wonder, did they just rent all those from Home Depot? Because apparently they don't believe in having them. And there's like 10 of them right there. So that was interesting. (laughs) but I, I like the point you were making, Victoria, about if cities can ban leaf blowers, they can ban other things more important. Yes. Yeah, so this was this was my you know reaction to this leaf blower bill is that um, if if you really are going to allow localities to step in in this way, then why in the world are we having any? pushback on a locality being able to say we're not going to have an abortion facility here i mean that's what we've been trying to do in southwest it's called safe zones for life and we've been trying to create these the the citizens of that area do not Mm want to be exploited for abortion so they're saying we in our community want to protect this thing from coming in not not things that are already there not 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 like you know snitching on your neighbor but just 
we want to zone out these things. And there has been pushback, um, you know, and I can get into the whole why Virginia has to, you know, we have something called the Dillon Rule. And it's basically just says a county isn't supposed to be able to do something that is totally different than what the state. You can't go in two different directions. If your state policy allows something, a county isn't supposed to ban it. Or if a county, county isn't supposed to allow something that, you know, so that's supposed why, to, we're supposed to be kind of like in one system. So that's why the state's going to the specific trouble of putting banning leaf blowers in the state law so that cities can be empowered. Well, it's also right. a tactic in the legislature. This is a very common tactic. If you don't think you can get a bill all the way through banning it completely, you know, just across the board, we don't want these things in our state. The way you do it is you start saying, well, we're going to give the locals uh, option. Okay. And then, you know, it becomes a best practice. And, well, you know, we have all these counties banning it. We really should have everybody. It's a, it's a um, you know, let's put the... The frog in the boiling yeah. water concept. And, I mean, I think Biden, there's been talk about Biden administration and gas leaf blowers. It kind of reminds me of gas ovens, if everybody wants to yeah. remember uh, Kamala with her Thanksgiving dinner. Did we talk about that? I can't but, remember. But, well, you know. before we go down <laughs> that, Sorry. I'm, um, I'm on I, another thing. But I want to make sure people know about our safe zone for life movement. Yeah. So, because you were talking about, I mean, if you're talking about leaf blowers versus the destruction of human life, yes. you should be able to ban abortion in your city. Absolutely. Right? But also, even if. Even if um, one of the ways we're trying to do this is through zoning. Zoning is definitively a local decision. What you have and where you put it in your community has always been a local thing. So to me, there shouldn't even be any pushback if you're a county that wants to do this through zoning. For example, um, strip clubs are allowed at the state level. But at the local level, you're allowed to say, no, I want it over there, not Good next point. to a school. And so my, my point is, even if... You know, we weren't trying to do this through, or, uh, you know, an ordinance just saying we don't want this in here. You can absolutely say we don't want abortion facilities here, 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 and oh, zoning can keep them out. So if you want more information about that, just check out familyfoundation.org slash safe zone for life. Um, you can find out more what we've how we've been helping communities coming alongside communities that want to do this. But I just want to wrap up with pointing out these inconsistencies. Okay. Cats children's bodies leaves human life in the womb i mean we have a problem with our priorities clearly yes no question we are focused on the minors and they have a very different view of the things that matter than than a lot of people do all right well with that said we're gonna wrap up here um let me give just one more plug for mama bear day please make sure the parents you know if you're a concerned citizen want to come out come out and stand behind these parents Make sure to join us Thursday, February 15th, Mama Bear Day. We'll put the registration link up there one more time. And remember, we are stronger when we speak together. Be sure to share our Speak Up Virginia playlist on YouTube and uh, like us. Give us that five-star review on the Apple, Spotify, other platforms. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.